today we're joined by Cade Stevens, and he he's a special character. Very special. I enjoy my time with him. He does things such as cross-country, track, and is in show choir with me. How are you today, Cade? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. And he's a senior. Almost let that slip my mind. <laughs> <laughs> today we're going to first start out with Thanksgiving slash music. That's a little bit of a mashup. We're going to slam them together and... Brisa, go ahead with your questions. All right. So these two topics are like not really related. So we've got two totally different questions. First question, though, is what is a traditional Thanksgiving meal for your family? Because some people have different foods that are unique to their family. So what would you describe as the traditional meal? So I go to uh, two different sides. I go to my dad's side and my mom's side. And it's, it's always almost the same thing every year. So just just some highlights, I guess, from my dad's side. There's this uh, sweet potato and pecans dish. It's it's immaculate. And then on my mom's side, uh, turkey with cranberries is always uh, a big thing. So those are those are some of the highlights of Thanksgiving food. Mm, and what what would you say the best part for you is? It's gotta be it's gotta be the the sweet potatoes with cinnamon pecans it's it's like a perfect uh dessert food it's it's warm and just like it gives you sweet salty and everything in between so i'm a big fan of it do you cook at all because you've got you've got the terminology down you got the sweet and salty (laughs) um there was one year that i actually uh tried to make a homemade pumpkin pie so like i i used the the guts of a pumpkin and (laughs) made a made a pie with it i I can't remember if it was good or not, but I, I think it, I think it might have been all right. But I'm not a big, uh, I wouldn't call myself a chef by any means, so I don't think I'll be cooking anything this year. Yeah, we'll assume that pumpkin pie was really good. Unpopular opinion: I'm not a huge fan of the majority of Thanksgiving foods, but gotta do what you gotta do. All right, totally different topic now. On to music. So, favorite genre? What would you say? This can be your genre of music or like a style of artist that you prefer what do you like favorite genre by far for me is classic rock i love 70s and 80s music it just something about the nostalgia factor maybe but it's different it was more pure back then i think that's that's a big part of it so for our listeners who don't know what classic rock or 70s and 80s music are give us a little like give us some examples or some things that are incorporated in that so honestly it doesn't have to be anything that's extremely you know hard or or really loud you know ear busting music but i i like some of that so i guess some examples would be i think the band that really got me hooked on listening to classic rock originally was queen and you know, oh wow, I'm I'm so quirky. I listen to Queen. It's you know, it, <laughs> yeah. but uh, no. So I've I've definitely picked up a lot of uh, other bands. So I like I love the sound of the electric guitar, and I love the the synth synth sound, like ele- electric keyboard sound of that time. So uh, those are those are probably the main reasons why I'm a big fan. And I know you play the piano. Do you play any other instruments? Yes. Yeah, so I played trumpet uh, sixth grade through freshman year. 
and I just trumpet just wasn't the same as piano for me. Piano's just always been a lot more natural. So I guess if you if you want to count my voice as an instrument, I, I play that too. But we're not counting that amazing. as an instrument. <laughs> that's well, that's fair. I refuse that's fair. to believe in the belief that your voice is an instrument. Your voice is oh, just your voice. Strongly disagree. Voice is such a good instrument. <laughs> it's not an instrument. It's just... I mean. It's all I got going for me, Jax. You gotta let me have it. <laughs> I'll let you have it, but I'm not gonna call it an instrument. <laughs> and right, you don't play you it. Yeah. So yes, and for all of our listeners, if you have not heard Cade Stevens play the piano, you need to go seek him out and listen to him because he is good. It's beautiful. All right, Jax. What do you I appreciate got? it. Okay, now, I just want to know: Are those conversations just as awkward with you with the family members? Because they are. They're bad. I, I, I hate those things. Going up to people I see once a year and talking to them, I hate them. They're god-awful. I wish they just didn't exist. Are they just as bad for you as they are for me, or do you get a – do you have flow in your conversations with your family members? Well, see, my family stays really connected uh, via Facebook. And on my mom's side, it's always uh, family members that – uh, we see multiple times a year, so it's not really awkward. But on my dad's side, I have dealt with that, where it's um, it's people that I'm not necessarily the most familiar with. Now, I mean, they they kind of know about me just like through Facebook or whatever. So they'll they'll ask me about stuff like uh, they'll see something about show choir, for example, and they'll ask me about it. So conversation doesn't come that hard, I guess. But I can definitely relate to the. Uh, the awkward moments of you don't really know what to say because it's like you, you don't see that person that often and it yeah do you, do you like small talk is... <laughs> i i'm not a big fan of small yeah, talk it it has to be an en- engaging conversation for me to want to take part in it <laughs> take part in a conversation yeah it, like this one yeah like this it's, one. A, it's a fun Engage... conversation no like if I have to answer the question, how's school going one more time? I, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> I know. Where, that it's literally the worst question. I'm like, how do you think school's going? I mean, I'm I'm doing homework. I'm at school for eight periods a day. It's not going well. How did, how did, how did <laughs> And then there's Corona. Say? And then there's Rona. Yeah, Corona. Yeah, it's like, it's like, what do you want me to say? School's going great. You know, I love all the homework. I, I love wasting <laughs> yes. my days away inside of basically a jail cell. I mean, love, go, love going home and just having to work on the stuff that I just did in class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now we got to get in the real issue and a very controversial issue here. Is it okay to play Christmas music before Thanksgiving? So I can't remember. I think I think it was Jay Bockelman. You guys know Jay. Yeah. Me and him were actually just talking about this a couple of days ago, and I was kind of uh, saying what aspects of Christmas are are acceptable at what time of year. And I do think that Christmas music is acceptable after Halloween. I think you got to get into the feel of it a little bit earlier. Now, decorating for Christmas, on the other hand. I don't. I just don't think that's okay until around Thanksgiving time. But that, I might be biased because my family has a, has a tradition of decorating for Christmas the Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yes, that's so that's that's a little biased for me. 
But should it should it be blasted in all the stores? Like uh, Mr. A was saying, he walking in the coals, listening to the songs that we're doing in show choir. It should I don't think it should be blasted in these stores every time I go in. You know, I can only handle so much Michael Bublé, and I would prefer if it started after the third. Don't Thursday start hating on Michael Bublé, Jax. That's a sin right there. I'm not hating on Michael Bublé, but you can only have so much. You know what I'm saying? I can only for listen sure. to All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey so many times. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. That one That one I can take. <laughs> Brisa, that's the one Brisa listens to just every time. <laughs> All day, every day. <laughs> every day. Is there any particular Christmas music that you just love, Cade? Um, I really love uh, Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. and just Ooh, that type of sound yes. with Christmas. It just It's just so fitting. Just the smooth jazz. I just His love voice it. is just... It's so great and golden. When he sings, man, you he, just he does have a. You just gotta voice. stop. You gotta appreciate when Frank Sinatra's singing, no matter what genre of music he's singing. It's true. It's very true. All right, now we're gonna get into Brisa and her discussion between the arts versus sports. Go ahead, Brisa. All right, this is a huge debate in. It feels like all high schools across America is the sports versus the arts. Where should the money go? What can you do? And then, of course, there's the famous saying at our Castle High School of you can do both between show choirs and all the other activities. (laughs) So usually there is this friendly hatred, I guess we could call it, between the two groups, between sports and pretty much all the performing arts. And as a member of both of them, Cade, what misunderstandings do you think people have between them and what would you tell the various groups about the other one well uh you know we know that being a guy in show choir can can get you stereotyped true. but i mean what what people don't realize is that the guy most of the guys in fact all of the guys in show choir are are the greatest guys that you know you can be around and, and a lot of them are, are really good athletes too so I think a big misconception is that, you know, if you do something like show choir, you're going to become feminine or something like that, which is, is definitely uh, not true. It's it's just it's a really good experience. And honestly, you make a lot of uh, of guy friends as well as uh, girlfriends, too, when doing it. On the other hand, with uh, sports, I guess um, a misconception would be that, you know, they – maybe don't take things like school seriously. I, I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like it's kind of harder for this one. I mean, I run cross country, so we we're pretty, uh, I wouldn't say disrespected, but we don't really get noticed. We're kind of like the forgotten. But they really should though. Mm-hmm. I ran one workout with them. I'll, I'm a, literally almost died. <laughs> it's rough. Almost died. Yeah. And that's not even a joke. I, it was bad. <laughs> I, I can remember that Jax was uh Jax was struggling a few miles in. But you know, he's a sprinter, yeah, shout, so don't I don't know why Trevor decided credit. that I should come, but yeah. Well Trevor Monroe is a different animal. Oh my I, I aspire to okay, be as good I as gotta say side comment here. He goes to our church and one time we calculated how fast he'd be able to run to the center of the earth and we got to thir- <laughs> thirteen minutes he'd be able to run this <laughs> God, God. from Lake Tahoe to the center of the earth so there you I have believe it. it he is he's a different breed all right 
Uh, okay, so kind of going along those lines, but a little bit more into the money side of things. So, first of all, sports professionals get paid like double, triple, quadruple the amount that a lot of performing artists do. And we see that in schools, too, with how the money is is funded for the different programs. So, as a member of both of those, do you think that the money should be separated differently or do you think that it's where it needs to be? You know, I think that money uh, that a certain organization in the school receives should be based on how much money they need. I think I think there should be an allocated budget because, honestly, the cross-country team, we really don't need that much funding. We, we have uniforms. We have spikes. We have some tarps and a couple tents, and that's about it. And in comparison to some of the teams, their equipment, I mean, it – that completely overshadows how much you know and show choir included there's way way more money that needs to be put into it so I don't think it's really a matter of if it's an art or if it's a sport it's just a matter of how much money does it take to run the organization efficiently that's a good answer you got to take that up with the school board all right <laughs> So then there's the coaches and the directors. So they work really hard, especially at our school, I think, to try and allow students to be part of both programs. But it doesn't always work out because there's inevitably going to be conflicts in scheduling. So do you have any recommendations that you would give to these coaches and directors to allow students to actually participate in both without conflicting schedules? Well, you know, that... that uh... Actually, if I can go on a little tangent Absolutely. here, I, I've i never done a musical before, and I really, really was hoping to be able to do the musical this year, and it completely conflicted with every cross-country practice, all the rehearsals, mm-hmm. so that was, that was kind of sad for me because I really did want to be a part of that. Now, I'm planning on doing the summer musical next year, but summer before college, it's kind of, there's a lot of uncertainties, yeah. so yeah. I can't say if I'll be able to do that for sure. But, you know, it just – with a school as big as Castle, there's so much stuff to do. It's, it's honestly – it's really difficult to schedule those things around each other. I would say that maybe uh, one thing we could do is to um, make some more co-cur- co-curricular activities like show choir is to where some of that after-school extracurricular time can be uh, – actually put into you know a class for someone so it it would open up more time after school for people to be able to do other things and that's that's really the only thing that I can think of total side note do you know what you want to do when you grow up yeah so I guess I have some pretty lofty aspirations I am uh so I'm gonna major in political science at Indiana University I just actually got accepted a few days ago oh congratulations thank you and um I I'm not sure yet I I think I'm gonna go to law school afterwards and I I the end goal is to really get into public policy and uh kind of work my way up, you know, see if I could uh, work my way into Congress and so forth. And who knows, you might, you might have uh, president Cade Stevens. Uh, someday, but... Yeah. I was thinking about that when you were answering these questions, they were giving me lawyer vibes. So glad to hear you're going into the right profession. Okay. Last question. <laughs> so kind of going along the same lines of things we've discussed, 
the sports are a lot more widely advertised and just attended in general because there's more seating available and people are more interested, I guess, in watching football than arts. I think it appeals to a wider group of people. So should high school arts be more widely recognized or advertised? And what do you think about that? Yeah, I, th- I think they should. And at the same time, I feel like Castle High School does a really good job of that, of advertising it. But I think there's still more that could be done. Now, it's just when there's so much emphasis on on sports, because, you know, I, I feel like for a while in history of, of high schools, at least in uh, the United States, it, it was kind of like, sports were the only thing to do. I don't know how how long ago the performing arts really began to become recognized. Mm-hmm. So I, f- I feel like we've done a good job at our school, but I think there's maybe more um, events that could be put on that could help kind of attract people. Maybe if uh, there was more – because I know that in my time in the Night Sensations – we haven't actually performed for for like the student body at an assembly per se. And I know that uh, Mr. Adcock had plans for that. Unfortunately, this year it doesn't look like it's going to be able to happen. But I think that uh, doing that a little bit more would appeal appeal to some students more because they'd see that and be like, oh, okay, that looks like it's pretty fun. And I know we go to the middle schools and elementary schools, but – I mean, for someone like me who joined uh, as a junior, it would definitely attract a lot of people to the performing arts who are already, you know, a few years into high school. So I think uh, just performing for the student body is one big thing. Nice. Seriously, you got to get some of these ideas rolling. These are some really good ideas. (laughs) I appreciate it. All right. Jax, take it away. Okay, do you know what time it is? It's politics time. You know, uh, I know what you time know we had to turn to some politics and get that ball rolling again. I took a break last week, took a break, but I got to come back to the steady and true. And since we just talked about sports, I'm going to talk about an issue in sports that has turned political. And that is, is that during sports games, during the national anthem, do you think it is okay to lock arms, kneel, stay in the locker room? Are any of these are any of these okay? Are they all okay? Some are any of them disrespectful and disgraceful? You know, some people saying that kneeling or not even showing up for the national anthem is uh, going against our military. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think it's okay to do that? Do you think that's standing up for some what they're doing, or should they be required to stand at minimum lock arms or even stand and be required to have their hand over their heart? What do you think? Man, this this is something that uh, you know has been really widely debated. So, I you know my my opinion here might be controversial to some people, but I like to look at things from I guess a constitutional perspective. And the players who do that are are in their full you know constitutional right of doing it. There's nothing. There's no law that they're violating by doing it. Now, people, you know, a lot of people will say, like you said, it's uh, disrespecting the military. But I, I'm going to have to disagree there because I think that they are actually 
exercising their freedom that the military has, uh, you know, fought for. Like my great grandpa, for example, fought in World War II. I guess that's probably one of the biggest uh, wars in terms of uh, us still us having, uh, you know, the freedom that we've always enjoyed in this country. And I think that's just a big part of the United States is the main, the main theme of the country is freedom and liberty. And I think that these, these, these guys aren't doing this for no reason. They're not, the purpose is not to disrespect the military. It's to make a stand for uh, issues that they believe are going on. And I do believe that there are social injustices in this country that need to be fixed and I think I think on all sides of the spectrum, everybody could do a better job of, you know, just loving each other more and just, you know, trying to stop the, the spread of hate that seems to be such an epidemic in this country. It's It just mm-hmm. it hurts me to kind of scroll through social media and see people just comment, commenting hateful stuff to people they don't even know, you know, just attacking them out of yeah. out of disagreement. And I think one of the most wonderful principles of this country is that we can disagree. And a lot of people take that for granted and, and just use that as a, as a weapon to attack others when I think there is uh, a way better outlet in just civil discourse with one another. And I'm, I'm kind of going fun. off topic here, but back to the, uh, back to the kneeling thing. I, I, I do think that, it's uh okay and or you know, in it's locker, kind of different do you think they should be able person to stay in person, room, but... or should they at minimum have to come out you know that's a tough one i i honestly haven't really thought about that and i think i i don't see why they would stay in the locker room i'm sure there's a reason but i if they wanted to make the the biggest um impact i i feel like the would be on the field in front of you know that tens of thousands of people in a normal year obviously not not this year but i i feel like kneeling on a field where everyone can see you and live tv can see you uh says a lot more than staying in a locker room so i just i don't i don't really see the purpose of that but i don't i think it's really up to the league commissioners i i'm not going to necessarily agree with uh whatever commissioner it is. I know that uh, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, is a lot more, uh, I guess, progressive than, say, uh, Roger Goodell of the NFL. And um, he he's shown his full support for players doing this. Well, in the NFL, a lot of the owners have, have um, not been in support of what their players have done. But yeah, to, back to the locker room thing. I I don't really see a reason in that. So it's really just a matter of preference for for the now. If there is the military presence, should there be like so, such as Veterans Day, should they be required to stand? Because then you're in the presence of military, or is it just the same that you'd still be able to nail? You know, in that case, I I think that they should be out there if there are military personnel that are there at the game, especially for something like Veterans Day, I think that's uh, a difference. Now, I 100%, I 100% think that they should be out there, and I I really haven't completely made up my mind on on uh, whether or not they would still be allowed to uh, do something such as locking arms or kneeling, but I, I really think that 
it wouldn't hurt them to to make an exception for for doing that when there are military people in in their presence, okay. just to show respect. I'll, I want to talk about should everyone in the United States have a strong sense of national pride, or is it ridiculous to support a country just because you were born there? Should you be born with this innate feeling to have pride in your country and want to better your country, or is that a silly concept? Just that if you are born in a place that you have to have support of that place or have pride of that place. I don't think people necessarily uh, have to have pride in their country. I think they, I think they should. I think despite, despite the United States not being uh, the highest ranking country in a lot of areas like education and um, gun violence and so on, we we are still the United States and that's something to be very, very proud of and just feel very, very grateful because in all honesty, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't have wanted to be born anywhere else. And instead of uh, saying, you know, that I hate this country and, you know, blatantly disrespecting the country, I think people who aren't happy with the current state of the country would be doing a lot uh, better by actually getting out in the community and working to gotcha. better the nation as a whole. Okay, I want to switch over into taxes. Are the rich taxed too much? When you have the top 1% of the country doing a combined total of 37.3% of the taxes, and then the bottom 90% contributing 30.5, which is about 6.8 less percent than the top one, is that too much? I mean, there is an argument that you say, well, they're rich. They should be such having a higher tax than everybody else. But at the same point, they're they're doing more than 90% of the population, just that top 1%. Is that overboard? Because they earned that money, and rightfully so, should be able to keep it, in my opinion. But do you think they're taxed too much, or do you think that tax is fair? So if you know me really well, then you know that I was a big fan of the uh, Democratic candidate, Mm -hmm. Andrew Yang, last year in the Democratic primaries. And Yang's philosophy was not to raise any individual income tax, because I I don't think that that's necessarily right. I, I agree with you that people, you know, get what they earn in this country. And Yang's idea was that there should be a universal basic income and that if it's the same across the board, a thousand dollars per month, isn't going to affect someone in the top 1%. They're still receiving it, but it's not, it's not going to make a difference. It's such a small percentage of their overall income. It's not going to be noticeable, but for someone who's only making $20,000 a year, an extra 12,000 is absolutely immense. Now, a lot of people ask, you know, how, how do we get that money? Well, what I do think is an issue in this country is not necessarily the individual people being uh, having too much money. I think it's some of these corporations such as, you know, the Amazons and the Googles and Apples and, you know, these, these massive uh, technological corporations that have been avoiding um, – paying taxes through different types of loopholes. 
I think that there's a lot of that money that could be redirected into the hands of the people and it would, it would benefit all of these individuals across the board without taking money out of the hands of the top 1% or 10% or 50% Mm. for that matter. So on an issue of taxes also, when you have things like free healthcare wanting to be implemented or any system that wants to be implemented is raising taxes to get that system a good thing. And if even if it's not a good thing or a bad thing, if those taxes are already implemented, how should they be spread across the classes? My bad. Can you repeat bad. that? You were cutting out there. Increase the taxes, like You're free health care, which would increase it, or any other thing which would increase taxes. Is that a good thing if it results in something such as free health care? And how should those taxes be spread or delegated among the classes? You know, I think that there are a lot of countries that do have free free healthcare that are operating efficiently. And, you know, you see that in some of the Scandinavian countries and you see it across Western Europe a lot. But I don't know if if raising taxes on individuals is the right way to go about it. In, in this country, a lot of people are very, very anti-taxation. And that's fair. I mean, we know that in the, in the very beginning that people were angry enough about uh, taxation without representation to start a revolution. And I don't like taxes. I, um, I worked in the summer, um, almost minimum wage job, not quite. And I didn't like how there was, you know, a fraction of my money being taken out of my paycheck when I felt like I worked hard for that. So I think that there needs to be a better compromise for healthcare. I don't think uh, each side of the political spectrum in this country um, calling each other's, calling the other side's plans, you know, evil and ineffective and so forth is the right way to go about it. I think that we need to have uh, members of Congress just start working together more to to compromise and find a way to have a more efficient and ethical system of healthcare in, in the United States. Because I think a lot of people would agree that our, our current system isn't huh. necessarily working so well. And last thing that I have here is I want to talk to you about You've been a person that has seemed to have switched parties a minimum once. What are the main factors that led to you switching? Yeah, so I I was a big uh, Trump supporter back in 2016. If I could have voted back then, I would have voted for, for him. And actually, uh, on that note, if if this year's election was Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, I would have voted for Donald Trump, um, even though I don't support him. She that's how bad. that's how bad Hillary Clinton was. But I, yeah, I think I think most of us can agree with that. Now, I definitely had a more conservative attitude back then, and quite honestly, I just. I learned a lot more. I think I think a lot of the things that 
especially this year, really, really took me farther uh, left, I guess. I, I don't identify with the Democratic mm-hmm. Party necessarily. For for an exact term, I would call myself Man, you're cutting out a, lot. a social libertarian. Just a little bit, yeah. Right, I'm cutting out. Are you hearing that too? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear it. All right, I mean, you have to keep talking, but continue. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, so I, I'm not a big fan of big government, and I believe that the the two-party system – isn't isn't working well i don't think that it's set up to work well and i don't i'm not a fan of either party just because they're both big government no matter you know what what each one says the a lot of the republicans like to say that you know they're they're small government because they they oppose raising taxes but at the same time they are supporting these uh conflicts in the Middle East and so forth. And I have to give credit to, to Trump there. He is pulling troops out of the Middle East, which I agree with. That's uh, one of my favorite things that he's done. I, I just don't think we have business uh, being the world police. As long as it's not affecting our country, why put our tax dollars into, you know, breaking up other mm-hmm. countries' disputes? And then you have the Democrats, on the other hand, who will act, you know, all in favor of, of uh progressive social policy you know uh pushing for equality and so forth and then at the same time they'll go and and want higher taxes and you know farther left-leaning policies which really aren't you know small government or in favor of these people that they're saying they support so much at all so really i guess i've just uh gained more knowledge and not uh not trusted authority so much as I've kind of seen seen things develop right, in the 